Welcome to the Abundant Grace Podcast, where we discuss the gospel, freedom in Christ, and victorious Christianity. My name is Emily Lewis, and I am so honored that you are here. Sometimes Christianity can feel complicated or become heavy. I'm here to lighten that load. I pray that the chats had on this broadcast will empower and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Hi there, friends. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Abundant Grace Podcast. Today's interview with Rebecca Drumsta is such a blessing. She encourages us to ask big questions, not be afraid of asking big questions. And we dissect a little bit what deconstruction actually is and how we can use it to our advantage and grow our faith by deconstructing and asking big questions. Go check out her blog, check out her social media resources. She has done a lot of work um, getting to where she is now and helping people. Whether you are currently deconstructing or if you have in the past, I know that you will find encouragement being able to relate to her story wherever you are on your journey. So without further ado, here is my interview with Rebecca Drumsta. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with my audience and me and share your story and your experience in this area. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Could you please introduce yourself to us? Tell us about your background, your mission. How long do you have exactly? (laughs) So my name is Rebecca Drumsta. I'm a religious abuse advocate, raising awareness through writing, coaching, and speaking. I'm also a mom and director of PR for an international nonprofit. My formative years were impacted by four different religious cults. One of those is a denomination that you and I share. Um, One of those was a church. One was a homeschool organization. And the other was a spinoff of a denomination that had turned radical. Um, Now, fast forward many, many years, um, I'm married, I'm a mom, and uh, my personal mission is to raise awareness around religious abuse um, and spiritual traumas, things along those lines. I believe it's been, there's a lot of, for lack of a better, more elegant term, there's a lot of flinging poo that's going on between those who've been hurt by the church Mm. and those that are the church. And by the church, I mean church leadership, um, people that are speaking behalf of their denomination or of their individual church. Um, The church can be a term that's thrown around, but um, it's hard to explain sometimes. Um, So now I have a, um, I work professionally as a director of PR for an international nonprofit. I write freelance. Um, I enjoy being a mom a lot. I was homeschooled and now I homeschool, which can be triggering sometimes Mm. because of my experience, but, um, we're very hands-on family. We love to travel. Um, 
before COVID, we would go internationally and study and go see places. And um, I have a lot of missions in my background as well. I've lived in different countries and uh, I love getting to show my kid what it's like to be in another country. I believe that that is very important um, as part of an education is to see other cultures experience all those new things. And um, so now, like I said, I write, I'm writing a couple different books and um, I wanna help people who feel stuck, who feel alone saying, oh my goodness, I don't know what to believe or I am scared. Um, I've been there, I've asked those questions. Um, I've been terrified. I've been in my own bathroom and closing the door sobbing. I've woken up in the middle of the night crying and having a panic attack because I didn't know what to believe and what's going on. And um, so I've been there and I just really want to show people that on both sides of this coin that the people have been hurt. Listen, don't ignore it. Listen and learn. And then to those that who have been hurt by the church, um, we just want to throw it all away. Sometimes we just want to say the church is all evil and there are many viewpoints on that, but I just want you to know that it's good to ask questions, that it's good to say, I don't understand this. What's going on? Um, that it's not something wrong with you. If you're questioning how you were mm -hmm. raised or what you believe, um, go there. That's okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. One of the things that really drew me to your writing was how clear you make it, that it is good to be asking those questions because that's, that's such a scary place. Like you said, that's yeah. not a space that we really want to go, or we're just so overwhelmed with them because we don't have any of the answers. So yes. space for people that ask questions to someone and someone who understands maybe where they've been or what they're like trying to process because yeah. um, not everyone does get it that no. I really don't understand who God is. <laughs> and yeah. even though I can say I was raised in a Christian home, it's not, I wasn't really raised in a Christian church. And I guess that's where yeah. you would call those organizations cults. Yes. And from my experience, whenever you, have been part of, especially in your foundational years, when whether you're, you know, three, four or five years old, all the way through high school and even into college, when you're part of a high demand group or a high control group, um, whether it's narcissist, narcissistic leadership, um, whatever it may be, you're, what you've been taught, you're told is absolute truth. There is no other truth that exactly what you've been taught will be the truth today, tomorrow, a hundred years from now. And anybody who asks any, says anything else is wrong. They're lying or they're sinning or they're evil or they're Satan trying to distract you. Mm -hmm. So whenever I remember personally, so many times I would be in my closet crying and my husband would come and he'd want to check on me and be like, okay, babe, what's wrong? I'm like, put me back in the box put me back in the box mm -hmm. because the moment I would step out on, well, is it okay to wear pants to church? 
The first time I did, I thought that I was going to get struck down by lightning. And I just kept saying, put me back in the box. Okay. And then I would even have a conversation with my husband and say, all right, so we know that this is wrong and this is wrong and this is not biblical. So if we just put ourselves back in the box, at least my eyes are open. At least I know I can avoid those pitfalls um, and, and we can, we can feel safe again. And I can feel like there's some control because I know not to go down that path or that path and I can raise my family um, and we'll be good. So I had to make that choice of, did I put myself back in the box, but the lid was kind of cracked open this time? Or would I go, this is the, there's something wrong with the whole box. It's got to get thrown away. Mm-hmm. And so put me back in the box is a feeling that when you begin to question those beliefs that you've been indoctrinated with, that you've been told were absolute truth, you will be terrified because you don't want to get it wrong because mm-hmm. it means everything else is a, is a lie, right? Right. I love that you brought the box up because there is so much safety or perceived safety, I should say mm-hmm. in the rules and I think that in a ton of legalistic cultures, whether or not the whole church is this way, but even just churches that are legalistic, trusting the work of the Holy Spirit is scary. The box is so predictable. We do this. We wear our hair this way. We go to church this many times. We read this many pages in our Bible, or this is how we pray. Mm -hmm. And that there's safety in that where just walking out and saying, okay, I'm actually going to try walking by faith or I'm going to actually let the Holy spirit lead my life. And it might not look like this person's over here and I have to be okay with that organic growth. But yes, I'm glad you brought that up because it's so scary to step out of that box for the first time. And you do want to go back. Like even recently, my husband we were questioning a decision that we made. Uh And at one point you think you're just crazy for questioning it. And then the next minute you're like, maybe, but that box is what calls you back. Like, cause there's that safety. Yes. Hmm. Yes. And I love that you mentioned the Holy spirit because within evangelical fundamentalism, the unknown is not okay. Because we want, again, those fine, de- mm-hmm. definitely defined, this is how it is and this is how it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And so we were taught growing up in church about the Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Well, God, the Father, God, the Son got a really lot of attention. Yep. The Holy Spirit, we talked about when he came down like a dove and landed on the top of Jesus' head. That was the Holy Spirit. And that's really all we knew about the Holy Spirit because, oh, the fruits of the spirit, let's go there. God can give you gifts and talents to use the gifts. Um, But the Holy Spirit, if you went there, that meant you were charismatic. If you even talk about the Holy Spirit. And so as I progressed in my own journey, I did decide I'm, I made the choice to be a Christian. Um, And the Holy Spirit, understanding 
the Holy Spirit's role was part of that for me because I realized that is how I don't have to have all the answers. That's how I don't have to look like everybody else. That's why I can make a decision that nobody else understands because the Holy Spirit can talk to me. And as I learned more about who the Holy Spirit was and how the Holy Spirit biblically was supposed to be acting in our lives. I mean, I've started praying it over my daughter at night and just that the Holy Spirit would minister to her and speak to her and guide her and direct her because that's not my job. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the parent's job to make all of these decisions and tell you who you're going to be and how you're going to believe that is not their role. That's mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's role. And I see whether it's parenting, whether it's leading a church, is you're not there to indoctrinate. You're there to disciple. You're there to live it in front of them. And so now I tell my daughter, like, she'll ask me, what do you believe about this? Or what do you believe about that? And I'll say, this is what mommy believes. And this is why mommy believes it. But that what you're going to believe, that's between you and God. Hmm. and I present her with my why and my what, but I cannot tell her what to believe. And so I've tried to get her to learn for herself. Mm-hmm. And that has been a huge, a huge thing for me, especially when she'll come to me when she was younger with questions about creation and evolution. Well, how we were taught was hardcore one way, but then during your deconstruction, your faith journey, you, st- you have to look into every single one of those facets. Yeah. And so when you're looking into it and you go, um, well, this is what mommy was taught. And um, mommy's actually um, researching that right now. <laughs> and so it's, just, it's another scary place to go that w- you want to jump back in that box because am I going to hurt my kid? Am I going to break my kid? Are they not going to believe in God when they grow up? Wait a minute. That's not my job. That's not my job. Right. I have yes. to live it. And so there's literally this constant internal conversation that goes on um, when you are a parent or when you are going through this deconstruction on what am I going to believe? Why am I going to believe it? Is there a God? Is Christianity even true? Is it even valid? Like, is it even worth exploring anymore? Should it just be gone? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And you have to let the Holy Spirit guide you into that. Like, you're saying when we press into letting him actually speak to us. Cause I remember the first time that I acknowledged that he was speaking to me, like without quoting me a Bible verse, like mm-hmm. he was actually speaking to my heart and it felt really strange, but then you get more comfortable actually hearing his voice mm-hmm. and directing you. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, let's circle back to Absolutely. the part of your story when did you start asking those questions for yourself? The seeds of deconstruction were planted when I lived in India. Um, I'd gone there to do mission work at an orphanage. We did some medical care, taught English, things along those lines. And I began seeing that the way that people there lived, the Christians, was so different from me. Um, they danced in church. They had drums in their music. It was okay for women to show their bellies, but they couldn't show their ankles. Uh, jewelry for women in, was wrong. 
for within the Christians. They couldn't wear jewelry. Fingernail polish wasn't okay. So there were all these things that just didn't add up. But yet these women I would meet, they would walk two miles barefoot and get to church early and be on their knees and worshiping, like worshiping God and praying and singing or dancing. And I was like, um, yeah, people back home wouldn't do that. They wouldn't walk two miles barefoot and get there early. In fact, they're worried about the humidity messing up their hair and their outfit doesn't look right. And I was going, so I started seeing these things that just didn't make sense to me. And so that's when, and I was um, toward the end of high school, I was about 18, 19, 20 years old. um, And I started, it just kind of filed it away. Like I'm seeing inconsistencies. I still remember going, when I came back to church, I lived um, in India, two different stints. And um, the second one was for six months. And I came home and I was at church um, and my independent fundamental Baptist church. And I remember I turned to my dad and I said, this church is dead. There's no life here. And he goes, honey, it's just culture shock. You've just been living and experiencing a third world country and a whole different way of doing. It's just culture shock. Mm. And I was like, it's not culture shock. Something's wrong. So going forward to when um, I had my first child, my labor and delivery was very long. I'd done it all right. I said all the right things. I ate all the right things. I did all the exercise, avoided the shellfish, and the certain cheeses and the caffeine. And um, I was going to have a home birth because that was the safest and the best way to do things. Um, my husband was reading scripture out loud. We had hymns playing in the room and I'll spare you from all the, all the birth story things. But um, after an extremely long labor, I ended up in a hospital with a C-section. And um, when I got home, I felt like I'd been abandoned by God. Mm. And it could have been because I was so physically exhausted. I don't know. But I began saying, hold on. I did it all right. I followed all the rules. I checked all the boxes. I did all the things that I'd been told by my midwives, by the culture I'd been raised in, by all the other moms in my church, by all of this. And there I was, I was in agony. At one point, my, my daughter's life was potentially at risk. And I felt my C-section when they cut me open. And there's all the, like, again, more and more and more, all these layers of things that happened during this delivery. And God, where were you? I was crying out to you. I was claiming all the different names of God I've been told to use. Um, but you're my refuge. You're my healer. You're my helper. You're my, all of these things. Uh, but you know what? You didn't show up. And so that mm-hmm. I looked to as the pivotal point when I felt like I'd been abandoned by God, when I needed him the most, when I w- and my child needed him. And my husband was watching saying, I don't know what to do because there were so many things that were going on and he was supporting me as best he could. But there I was recovering from a C-section in bed with my newborn going, God, I don't even know if you exist because if you did exist, 
you would have done all the things that you were supposed to do that mm-hmm. I've been promised you were going to do. Right. Cause a plus B equals happy life the formula. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that can look different in different churches, but again, that's that box, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when the formula we, did not work, mm-mm. the man-made formula did not work. Right. When we put, I heard this quote, when we put um, ourselves in the box, we're actually putting God in that box and restricting yeah. how he, he wants to work in our lives. Yeah. So going forward, what, what made you reconnect with God or did you just start asking all of the questions at that point going, wait a second, if, if this didn't work and I didn't have the outcome that I expected or felt like I was promised, Mm -hmm. I'm done or what, where did you go from there? Well, from there, I went into kind of a limbo for a while. Um, being a first time mom and all of those things, um, I kind of lost my identity too, as a lot of first time moms do. Um, I went from wearing my cute heels to whatever I could chase a toddler in, you know, um, and I kind of lost who I was in a way. Um, I focused a lot on raising a, a little one. Uh, we stayed in church. We tried, um, Southern Baptist and sort of independent Baptist because they were more liberal. Um, and I always had these gnawing questions inside of me. And the biggest one was, is there really a God? Does God actually exist? Because mm-hmm. if all of this had been a lie, what else was a lie? And it's to kind of like when a child discovers that Santa Claus isn't real. Mm. and then they go oh well what about the easter bunny what about the tooth fairy what about and that's where i was with god okay well if these things that i was told were absolute truth turn out to be a lie um then what else is a lie and so i was terrified to come under the leadership of a pastor again i was terrified to follow any one writer speaker um teacher because I'm like, they're going to lead me wrong too. Like these people that are supposed to love me the most that poured into my life for 20 years, these people that I have seen and, and worked alongside and run programs with, these were the people that were telling me these lies. So why could I believe other people who really don't give a flip about me at all? Mm. And so, um, I, tr- I went to church for a while um, as my, my daughter was very, very young, but there hit a point when, and, I, and I'm not sure about how old she was, but um, I started not being able to go to church. And when I did go to church, I would come home for two or three days afterwards and just be a wreck because every single service, something would trigger me. And I would come home sobbing, going, I didn't know that was a lie, too. I didn't know that was it. Or like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe. And so finally, my husband and I were just like, it's probably better if you not go to church. Because it would take me half a week to overcome, to emotionally and psychologically heal from that experience. And I had to go through an entire church detox where I 
stepped away. And it was very difficult. Again, as a mom, when you have your little one saying, mommy, mommy, come to church with me. And you're saying, I really do want to go to church with you, but I can't. So you dress them all up, put on the pretty little bow and dress and lock the door behind them and sit in the entryway and cry your heart out because it hurt really bad. Mm. Um, and so there's the word deconstruction I've used a few times already. And that's what I feel like I was in. And that was deconstruction is a personal piecing apart of your belief system. Um, for me, it was a faith deconstruction, um, but it also, in any deconstruction you will go through, because it was, it included political views, religious views. Could other religions be true? Is it only Christianity that actually has the answers? Um, what are gender roles? I'd always been taught how women were supposed to be in the home. We're keepers at home. We have babies and we do mission work and we play the piano for the church and that's your job. Um, so I started exploring gender roles. Uh, your views on race or identity. Um, there's no set of time for people that are deconstructing. There's no like, oh, it usually takes six months. No, for some people, it can take a lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, it's painful sometimes. Like for me, something dramatic, the birth of my daughter kind of started a lot of this. Um, and it complete deconstruction, it's basically erasing what a person thought was normal, what a person thought was true, what you thought was right. Um, it covers how you interact with people, how you raise your kids, how you behave, how you treat your spouse, um, the, the whole world at large. Like I was based, I was taught that dinner, like every night as having a family dinner, that was, that was Bible. And so when my family, as we got, as we grew together, like that didn't work for my family. So I'm like, oh, no, 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 but, but I'm sinning if I don't have a meat and two vegetables and a bread on the table every single night. No, mm. that's actually not in the Bible. Family dinners are not in the Bible for absolute have to. Mm -hmm. um, there's even little things like the daily things or the, the, the things that you would enjoy, like taking a class, um, how you get dressed and why you get dressed, going to the store, social gatherings, every aspect of your life when you go through a belief or faith deconstruction, um, it's, it's affected. And so I was, we were going through all of this. My husband has been so gracious to walk with me, not that um, it's been easy for him by any means. Um, but it all came down to my daughter's probably three or four years old. And we were with a marriage counselor who looked me straight in the eyes. And he goes, honey, you're a legalist. And I said, no, I am not. I know what legalism is. And I it's wrong. And I left this. I know and he's like, I'm sorry, but once a legalist, always a legalist. It's like, no, I believe in grace. And he said, just like they say, you're a recovering alcoholic, you're a recovering legalist. Mm. And you will fight this for the rest of your life. Wow. He made me so mad. I was like, we're leaving. 
I wanted to, I, I, I don't do that, but that's how I felt inside. Like I'm walking out of this place. You call me a legalist. I've been fighting for the last couple of years. That's not what I am, but he was right. Hmm. And so he made me mad and he made me think. And then that's when I started like, all right, instead of having just all the questions kind of in the back of my mind, I need to get a little bit more serious about this. My daughter's getting older. We're going to need to have, make, pick a plan, pick a path. Where are we going? And um, this whole time I've been saying, is there a God? Is he really real? What about another faith? What about another denomination? What about another religion? Or maybe is, is it God is in all of it? Like, right. I, and so I came to this point where I did have to make the decision and it's not like it was another big moment for me that something happened and I made the choice. It was more like I stopped fighting myself mm. because I'd always heard this little voice in the back of my head that said, it's okay. Ask me the hard questions. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Right. You can kick and scream you can explore whatever you need to explore, but who I really am is standing right here and I'm not going anywhere. You can throw your tantrum. You can go through this legitimate trauma, but when you need me, I am right here. Not, and it was like, I kept hearing that always, but just like I felt that and I would hear that. So what I finally understood was who I'd been taught was God was a man-made God. Right. Yeah. The real Jesus, the real was standing there saying, you were believing this like cartoony made up fictional, like, so that was the God you were praying to. That was the God, but the real me is right here. And I'm not liking this. I don't like what has happened to you within the church, within the, the homeschool cult within the, all of these things. I don't like it, but I'm right here. And when you're ready to meet me for who I really am, I'm right here. Mm -hmm. And so that now has been my journey of finding out who God actually is and erasing all those old presuppositions that, well, God, well, does he, I don't know. Let me look. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and I've gotten tired of I'll get on the tirade here if I'm not careful but of people speaking on God's behalf mm. and God says and God likes it when and God I'm like oh really how do you know <laughs> right thank you for sharing that part of your story I think it's just important for people to hear other people's stories no matter where you are on your yeah. journey um it's good to know that you're not alone and that you're not crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I love yeah. your testimony of God. Just I'm right here when you, when you're ready, I'm not, he's not pressuring you. There's not a time constraint. He, to me, he whispers so often, but I am gentle. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. This, this that I felt like was you talking to me. That's not, that's not you. You're gentle or he'll just stay, be still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause I want to figure it all out or we want all the answers now. Or like you said, Oh, that counselor calling you a legalist. I totally relate because mm -hmm. uh, something similar happened with my sister calling me out yeah. and yeah, we will always be 
recovering from relating to God that way or um, relating to our situations and trying to control them that way. They're learned behaviors, they're habits. Mm. And we have to be awareness has to happen first. We have to be aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then we can begin consciously making the changes. Yeah, that's good. So how would you counsel someone facing hard questions or wanting to deconstruct? And I think that can be kind of a scary word, but it really is the best mm-hmm. one to describe unpacking everything and laying it out on the table. Well, and hey, Taylor Swift uses the word now. So does she? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so one of her songs or something is talking about deconstruction. I was like, oh, cool. We're on trend. I guess we are. We'll just keep using it because it's not the same thing as deconversion. But I think when we're asking those questions and deconstructing, we need to almost leave room for deconversion Mm -hmm. because otherwise you're not asking completely openly. Yes. Would you agree? I do. I'm glad you said that. Yes. Um, That's one of the things that I see. as people are going through deconstruction, um, those who are trying to help, whether it is um, counselors or trauma coaches and counselors, um, the church itself, all of it, um, people are pushing those who are deconstructing to try to fit into one camp or the other. Um, There is the whole, well, deconstruction always ends in deconversion camp. That just means, well, if you're deconstructing, that means you're going to end up over here and you're not going to believe in God anymore, or you're not going to be a Christian anymore, or you're going to become whatever. So they basically say, it's okay to ask the questions, but if you're asking the questions, that means you're going to deconvert. Well, that's not always necessarily, that's not true. Um, But the same thing is just because you're asking questions doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you are going to deconvert. It doesn't mean that um, your faith is going to look exactly the same way at the end of this process. You might be a, a different denomination. You might claim a different form of, of, a, of your faith. Um, it won't look the same way, but it doesn't mean that you have to deconvert. Um, the church, on the other hand, says, if you're asking all of these questions, it's because you need more apologetics and theology in your life. Mm. Well, I don't agree with that one either. Mm-hmm. Um, because people who are deconstructing generally feel that they've been hurt by the church and they feel like the Bible has been used as a weapon to beat them over the head. So if you're going to like say, wait a minute, you are questioning your faith in the Bible. So let's give you more Bible. That's also not going to be a very constructive tool. So God has given us free will. So that means that, back to the Holy Spirit again, the Holy Spirit is the one who guides and directs and leads and teaches us. So I believe that if you are going through a deconstruction, if somebody is trying to tell you what to believe either way, either here's more apologetics and here's more theology and read your Bible more, or you're going to not be a Christian. You're going to deconvert. 
that you need to be extremely cautious because you have a free will and it's you it's not somebody's job to come in and tell you exactly how to believe everything but a good counselor a good coach comes alongside you while you are asking questions they ask you more questions which can help so i believe that people again on both sides whether you're a christian coach whether you're a christian a pastor whether you're a counselor who believes in deconversion all of that, I believe both can aid, both can help the individual mm-hmm. who is deconstructing their faith. But you can't come at it with, you're going to end up here. Mm-hmm. Because there allows no freedom of the person's will. Mm-hmm. And that is a core of what we have. And especially when you're fighting from a faith or a cult background being told what to do and how to do it, that can also be a trigger. Um, I think the church needs to face these hard questions head on. Mm. Um, Like I said at the very beginning, there's a lot of people just flinging poo every side of this. It's a church's fault. No, you didn't have enough faith in God. Like they're going back in this constant (laughs) circle. And um, I think it's time the church needs to stop and face it head on. Because hard questions like this, that's real life. You can't skip over it. Mm-hmm. And you, you need to allow people to ask the hard questions and walk alongside them. But you must respect their boundaries. Yeah. And go ahead. I heard something about depression recently and it, it, mm. it just sunk so... It, just resonated so well, even with this conversation, your job isn't to solve someone's depression. You're not there to listen to their, whatever they're going through Mm -hmm. to try to help fix it. You're not there to try to walk them through. Like you can't measure your success by, is this person doing better today? No, your job Mm -hmm. is to just sit there and love them well. And that's what God will use to minister to them. And it's not our job to try to fix someone who's coming to us with big questions. We're not supposed to give them all the answers because they're obviously not ready for all of the answers that they need to know that they're loved. In an episode Mm -hmm. I had a couple weeks ago, she talks about how God taught her that he loved her so well through people. And when people, when we can love people through the hard questions, because God's not scared of those questions. If we, if we get to a place where we're so comfortable with our faith and so grounded, we're not afraid of people asking those hard questions because it doesn't threaten our own faith. Then we can just sit with them and just let them ask without trying to throw solutions at them. Yeah. And I see that's how the church leaders are handling this is throwing those solutions at them and not sitting with and listening to the genuine traumas. And God isn't happy that people have been hurt. When I sat outside a church trying to go in and had a panic attack, my husband looked at me and goes, I'm taking you home. This is not what God means by go to church. Mm -hmm. God doesn't want you to sit there 
in so much physical pain and mental agony and force you to walk in those doors. And so you're right. We need to sit with and we need to listen. And that means Mm -hmm. that if you are a Christian, that you believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to direct those people to the right answers. And if you are not a Christian, but you're a counselor or a coach, then you already know based on your training that it's not your job to tell people what to believe and it's their choice. And as, as any mom will tell you, like when a kid makes a choice for themselves, they're going to stick with it. Um, If they make the choice to clean their room, they're going to clean it even better. But if you're constantly clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, Mm -hmm. they're going to fight you on it. And so, but when it becomes their choice, when they're the ones, um, again, allow free will to happen, allow people, especially those who with the, the coercive, manipulative, um, cultish religious experiences, um, they will react very negatively when you tell them what to do or how to do it mm-hmm. just because that's what they're leaving behind. Right. So you mentioned a couple of times that you had to take a, like a hiatus from even going to church. So what do you say to people who, well, there's, I guess there's two questions. What do you say when people say, um, will you go other places where there are hypocrites or you go other places where there are um, unhealthy leaders or um, Mm -hmm. unhealthy people like the grocery store or baseball game? What do you say to that? And then to how do you um, take a break from church? without taking a break from God, because sometimes those two are are so married. They are. That's a really good question. I've never been asked that one before, actually. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Think about it for a second. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You said baseball game, businesses, things like that, where there's hypocrites. Um, They're not claiming the name of Christ they're not saying that they are a spokesman for God. A lot of those things also are not directing you on how to make decisions or how to raise your kids, how to fix the problem in your marriage. And they're not so much giving you the tools for your living. Um, And so basically the church is being a counselor. It's being a guide. Um, Yeah, there's hypocrites every single place you go. Um, We've experienced a lot of them. Um, But if if they're claiming the name of God and being a hypocrite, if they're saying they're doing this because it's biblical, um, they're abusing the Bible. They're abusing their position and claiming these things. And that would be the difference, I think, um, because they're saying that they're speaking on God's behalf. Mm, And in a job, at a baseball game, in a a school setting, it's people being people and they're doing it for their own pleasure. (laughs) or They're doing it for their own selfish reasons, which yes, that is still happening within the church. It is people power tripping. It is people out for their own names, their own this, their own that. Um, But then they use that Bible. They throw that out there. 
and they pick up that weapon, which gets down into, and that's where the deconstructing part comes in because it's the whole person. It's the whole body. It's not just, um, well, you know what? I'm not going to send my kid back to play on that team anymore because the coach is just whatever that affects only one or two, like it affects smaller, um, Mm. it's mind, body, soul, and spirit is what's happening within the church and maybe mind and body on a sports team. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm rambling a little bit, but I feel like because Mm. you're going for guidance on every aspect of your life, everything, mind, body, soul, and spirit, that's the big difference. Um, Mm -hmm. And in fact, I, I often tell people that I learned more about God and Christian and what true Christianity from the world that I've ever learned from the church. Mm. The people who even professionally, even within my husband's professional realm, the people who have been the most hypocritical, the most mm. um, who've mistreated us the most are also men that served in leadership at their churches. Mm. So I believe that it infiltrates, it starts with the church and it, continues to infiltrate through business, through other things too. I love that you brought up the mind, body, soul, and spirit, because that we're not going to the store or we're not going to our workplace for all four of those things. And that's one of the reasons, like you said, why church, Um, because it is so all encompassing, the pain can be so all encompassing. And in order to heal, you do need space for that. Yes. And I've started seeing soul care mentors and coaches and um Mm. i'm really excited to start seeing that a friend of mine is a soul care warrior is what she calls herself and Mm, um and i love i love how she's able to approach um all of that i'm like yes because we we so focus on the mind and the body but we forget the soul and the spirit and that with people with church hurts people who come from cultish backgrounds um it's like sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt me you can apply that with the soul and the spirit, like the body and the mind, we can begin to get a grasp on healing it, but there's not been enough study and time committed to understanding how to heal a soul and a spirit. And that is why religious cults, that's why religious trauma, spiritual abuse is so, so detrimental because it affects all four of those. Mm, Yeah. Can you rephrase the second question? Yes. <laughs> Not rephrase, but re-ask. Yes, yes. Um, so how do you take a break from church? Maybe even after you've deconstructed and you've come to the conclusion that you are a Christian and you believe in God, but you still need space from church um, because of mm-hmm. trauma or triggers. Um, how do you break apart those? Because I think it's hard for people to um, separate the two. Like if so, I'm so not... I guess it's hard for us to separate our Christianity so-called from the church. I I think you're right. Um, People raised within fundamental evangelical churches have been taught that you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. Then you also go door to door soul winning on Friday nights. And then you go to Saturday morning prayer meeting and then keep going on and on um we've been taught that that is how we please god uh works are not necessary for salvation but you do works in order to please god 
So for those raised in communities where church attendance was basically synonymous with, I'm a good Christian and God is smiling at me because I go to church all the time. Um, Stepping out of a church feels like you're sinning. It feels like you are doing something shameful Mm -hmm. and that God is going to smite you because now he's not happy with you anymore. Um, I came to the point after trying to go to church and experiencing all the fallout from what that was for me emotionally, mentally, and physically, where my husband and I talked about it and he agreed that he would take our daughter to church and I would stay home. And I would always be like, tell me about what did you learn? And, you know, I tried to make it, um, you know, tell mommy, tell mommy when she got home to be excited about going to church because I would say someday I know I'm going to go back. And um, I came to the point where I, I gave myself permission to never go to church again. Mm. Because I began to realize the church is not a building. The church is not a specific group of people. Yep. And as I began to learn from worldly influences, people outside of the church, um, I began to see that God was teaching me things that I could never learn inside of a church. Mm. Um, There are many, many viewpoints on um, the church right now, especially during COVID. There's a lot of questions on what's the church going to look like post-COVID. Um, Is it all going to be online? Are people going to go back at all? And I believe those are really great conversations that need to be had. Um, There's a lot of restructuring, I think, that's going to take place. And Mm. um, I think that can be a good thing. So if you're struggling with going to church because you feel like if you don't, you're going to be sinning, well, that's nowhere in the Bible. The Bible tells you not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So that means right now you and I are assembling and we could say we're in church. We're talking about God, talking about things. So where you are, how many people you're, you're with, that's, that's not what makes it church. Mm -hmm. And so I had to understand that process. I had to get there. Um, and the church detox was very necessary for me. I went so far as I didn't read my Bible for years because every time I did, I was triggered Hmm. every time I did. That's a lie. Or baby, what's true. So now years later, as I've started reading the Bible again, it's fresh. It's new. I see it with a different perspective. Um, I'm like, Oh, that's what it meant. Well, why didn't I well, that makes so much more sense. And so after this, so for me, church detox also meant uh, churchy people, churchy music, and the Bible itself. And that didn't mean that I was walking away from my faith. It meant that if this faith that I've been taught about, if Christianity, if God, if Jesus is real, and it's true, after I've detoxed from it, when I go back into it, the truth is still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You won't question or wrestle with something that doesn't mean anything to you. And if you're willing to wrestle and go through the hard for something, it not only becomes more valuable, but for anyone who's feeling guilty over needing that space or asking those questions, it's proof that that is something that's valuable to you and that God, God can (laughs) use that space to meet you in that quiet when the noise of everything that might be triggering is lowered. And I love getting to talk with you because my journey has been about 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I love how you said earlier how this has only been a few years for you. And so I'm hearing some of the things you're saying and, and even just seeing it in your eyes. I'm like, I remember this. I forgot <laughs> this. And I'm, I'm flashing back as we're speaking about some different situations and different times and how I felt at different mm-hmm. moments. And um, I had to keep a lot of my questions quiet and secret from my family because they wouldn't understand. My husband has been through all of it with me, but <laughs> it, it had to keep a lot of it quiet because they're going to think I'm crazy and they're going to say I'm not a Christian and they're going to say I'm rebellious and they're going to, you know, until finally it was like, I can't do this anymore because mm-hmm. this is not, this is not me. This is not what God wants. I am speaking on its behalf, but (laughs) this is not what God wants. Right. So any last words of encouragement for someone who is walking through this right now, deconstructing or um, reframing what they've believed? What would you, what would you tell them? I would say approach this with a clean slate look for truth mm-hmm. don't come at it thinking oh I, i'm pretty sure i'm gonna land over here i'm pretty sure i'm gonna go over there or nope i'm gonna you know come out with a clean slate and say i am looking for what is true mm-hmm. and like we we're talking about earlier for some people that will take them right back into Christianity, but a completely different form of Christianity for other people that may take them away from Christianity. But I would say that if you are looking for truth for me, my journey, I would pray, God, bring me to the truth. Sometimes I wouldn't pray because I would say that day I'd wake up and go, yeah, today I don't believe there's a God, but yet I would be like, okay, what's true? What is true? What is true? Actually, right here in my little office space, I have a sign that my friend made for me that says, thrive in truth. Mm-hmm. And I personally believe that when you are seeking for truth, that you will find God. Um, that's been my experience. That's been the experience of many others that I've talked to. But again, keep your eyes on what is the truth. And don't have presuppositions. Don't have all those preconceived, mm-hmm. well, I hate this and I love that or the, all of those things. Go with a clean slate, willing to change your mind. That's a hard thing to do. 
from a very dogmatic legalistic background, being willing to change your mind on a political stance, on how I raise my kid, on, oh, women can work outside the home, really? Whatever those issues might be, be willing to change your mind. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Be willing, yeah. Um, I think just like the last thing you said, think, be willing to change your mind. Um, because if we are not willing, then we're not approaching that question as fully as we could be. Um, yeah. So where would you direct people to find more of your writing? I have really enjoyed, um, your blog. Thank Um, you. Where would you point people? You can connect with me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can visit my website, RebeccaDrumsta.com. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I look forward to connecting with you more. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Abundant Grace Podcast. I would love it if you would share this podcast with a friend or take 30 seconds and write a rating and a review on Apple for the Abundant Grace podcast. It really does a world of difference to get the encouragement and information shared here into the ears of others like yourself. I would also love to hear what your thoughts on today's episode were. What landed for you, what is standing out and what is helping you move forward in your walk with Jesus. You can find me hanging out on Instagram, emily.abundantgrace, or send me an email, hello at emilyklewis.com. That's emily, the letter K, L-O-U-I-S.com. And until next time, remember that God's grace abounds and won't ever run out.